Welcome to the Jumpstart Your Faith podcast channel, where you will receive the essential tools to take your faith to the next level. I am your host, Brian Ratliff, and I currently pastor Clearbrook Baptist Church in Roanoke, Virginia. Here is the latest message preached from one of our services. Grab your Bible, pen, notepad, and get ready to jumpstart your faith. All right. Uh, it, again, it's an honor to be with you today. Donna and I have enjoyed the opportunity to uh, drive over from Lynchburg to spend the entire day here and be with you again tonight. Remind you again tonight, I'll give everybody that comes a free copy of the book, uh, Target Israel, Caught in the Crosshairs of the End Times, uh, last book that Tim LaHaye wrote. I had the privilege of doing a number of books with him uh, over the years and uh, uh, they were good friends to our family. Tim went home to be with the Lord uh, a little over a year and a half ago, and uh, so many people are trying to carry on uh, that same ministry and same emphasis, and I think you'll enjoy the book, so it'll be totally free. Whatever's left out there, y'all were good. I mean, you're into studying. That's encouraging, so there are a few of these left, 15 future events that'll shake the world and a couple of other things. Uh, remind you, they'll be on the table in the back uh, afterwards. So tonight, 5 o'clock, uh, and then 6 o'clock. 5 o'clock, I'm going to talk to you about the book of Revelation. How do I understand it? I'm going to make sense out of the book and give you a quick overview of the entire book. And then uh, at 6 o'clock, we'll talk about God's amazing plan for your future. How many of you are uh, 50 or older and will admit it? Let me see your hand along with mine. Lots of you. So I want to announce that you have more living ahead of you than you do behind you. And uh, I think I can prove that to you tonight. So uh, plan to be back uh, with us. Right now, if you'll uh, take your Bible, find the Gospel of Matthew in the New Testament, chapter 24. The Gospel of Matthew, chapter 24. In this passage, Jesus is going to talk to his disciples about what was going to happen in the future. The context of the passage is at the end of his earthly ministry. He's about a week from going to the cross, dying for our sins, rising again. And he's walking in Jerusalem with the disciples on the Temple Mount. And... Uh, they are really into talking about the building. If you've ever been in a building that was just amazing, beyond imagination, everybody talks about the building uh, and the size and the magnitude and the this and the that, etc. We just uh, last week moved into uh, the new uh, Divinity School uh, building at Liberty that houses all of our Bible theology, church ministry programs, our uh, undergraduate and graduate seminary programs and it's in that if you've been down 460 going east that big tall uh, uh, tower uh, the so-called freedom tower also houses at the bottom the divinity school and some of our classes are up on like the 10th and 11th floor uh, of that thing i was in there the other day uh, co-teaching a class with another professor on the ninth floor and the fire alarm went off, uh, and we had to run all the way down the stairs, and then they said it was a false alarm, and run all the way back up. 
Uh, that'll work out, uh, etc. But uh, it's a new building, and it's fascinating. It has lots of interesting, brand new technology, as many of our buildings do. Uh, there will be a classroom with seven projectors uh, that you can do a three-dimensional scope of. I can take it at downtown Jerusalem, that type of thing, uh, in that room. But the problem is everybody will come in there and go, wow, the building. But it's really not the building. It's about what's going to happen in the building. It's about lifting up the Savior. That's what really matters. So as we read this passage, understand they're walking through the temple, the most sacred place in all of Israel. Uh, all that's left today is the wailing wall, the retaining wall. Uh, if you imagine the pulpit as the temple, it sits on the platform called the Temple Mount. And what you call the Western Wall or Wailing Wall is just a retaining wall of, say, the steps down here. That's all that's left. The Jewish people today come to that wall to pray because the temple's gone. Uh, and uh, that's as close as they can get uh, to it. Today, the Dome of the Rock, a Muslim shrine, sits on the spot of the temple. Uh, and they will not allow Jewish or Christian services up there. Uh, of any kind. You can take a tour. I've been up there a number of times, but if you start singing Christian songs and preaching the gospel, they'll throw you right out. Uh, they'll do the same thing to the Jews. Uh, even though they have control of the area, that shrine still sits there. Uh, for the Jewish people, all that's left is the wall. For the Muslims, it's the shrine that matters. For the Christian, it's what goes on in your heart that really matters. Now, let's pick the story up at this point. Matthew 24, verse 1, And Jesus went out and departed from the temple. So you might circle the temple, that's the context. And his disciples came to him to show him the buildings of the temple, literally to kind of brag on it. Like, wow, look at this place. It's unbelievable. It's huge. It's incredible. It's the house of God. And then Jesus said to them, do you not see all these things? Verily or certainly, I say unto you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. Boy, you talk about saying something shocking, something politically incorrect to Jewish disciples. The house of God's going to be destroyed. The temple's going to be destroyed. There will not be left here not one stone. They are stunned by this statement, shocked by it. Uh, they're in shocked silence. They leave the Temple Mount, go down in the Kidron Valley, <clears throat> up onto the Mount of Olives, and as you sit on the Mount of Olives, you're looking right back on the Temple. And uh, they've got questions. You think, well, I've got questions about prophecy issues. Well, good. <clears throat> they had questions way back then. Verse 3, they came to him and asked him three questions. As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately asking, Number one, when shall these things be? When's this going to happen? When is the temple going to be destroyed? Number two, what is the sign of your coming? So they already sense he's going to leave and return. And number three, of the end of the world, or literally the end of the age. Lord, there are three questions in our mind. 
when is this going to happen? What is the sign of your coming? And what is the indication or the sign that we have finally come to the end of the age? Jesus takes two whole chapters in the Bible, Matthew 24 and 25, to answer those three questions. And he does it in a very typical first century rabbinic teaching style. Uh, in our Western world, if my students, uh, like Brian, asked me three questions, they would expect me to answer those in order. Jesus doesn't do that. He weaves three warnings in with the three answers and gives you then three words of application, the kind of the so what. What difference does it ultimately make? What should we be doing then in light of this? He begins with the warnings. In verse 4, Jesus answered and said, Take heed that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, saying, I am Christ, I'm the Messiah, I'm the Savior, and deceive many. Uh, in verse 11, he'll say, Many false prophets will rise and deceive many. So warning number one, beware of false prophets. Beware of people claiming that they have a message from God when in reality they don't have a message from God. And indeed, throughout history, there have been many false prophets, even as Jesus warned uh, that there would be. Uh, Joseph Smith, uh, who claimed he found a golden book in his backyard and translated the Book of Mormon uh, out of the golden book that nobody ever saw. Uh, and uh, uh, the Book of Mormon that talks about places in America that never existed. Uh, so is he a true prophet of God or a false prophet? Uh, and then you have uh, uh, somebody like Sun Young Moon who said, uh, the founder of the Moonies, that I'm the prophet of God and I'm the ultimate savior of the world, uh, that kind of thing. Uh, that has gone on throughout history, but I would suggest to you this morning there has never arisen a greater false prophet than Muhammad who comes along 600 years after Jesus and says, well, Jesus was a prophet, but I am the prophet. I'm the prophet of God. I have a revelation from God. Uh, the Bible is a book uh, from God, but my Quran is the book from God that supersedes the Bible uh, and uh, starts a religion uh, that uh, ultimately says, Jesus was a prophet, but he never died on the cross. They switched people and somebody else died on the cross. And he never rose from the dead. He just died a natural death. But he will return one day and denounce Christianity and affirm Islam. So that's part of Islamic teaching. Uh, now, that doesn't mean that every Islamic believer is an extremist or a terrorist or a bad person. But there is a fundamental truth claim at the core of religious beliefs, uh, whether it's the Jehovah's Witness or the Mormons or the Muslims or the Buddhists or the Christians or whatever. There, there are certain things that we say, we believe that or we don't believe that. The challenge with the Islamic faith is that it is a faith that claims it is their destiny to conquer the world and that ultimately, in the will of Allah, they will eventually conquer the entire world. Now, it may take time, and they're not in a hurry, but they see that as their ultimate goal. If you go to Islamic websites, you'll see that pronounced 
very, very clearly uh, that uh, the goal is conquer America. Their goal is conquer Europe. Uh, their goal is to eliminate the nation of Israel. Uh, there is a basic fundamental hatred for the Jewish people in Islamic thinking. Now again, that doesn't mean every Muslim hates every Jew, but that hatred is very, very intense, promoted by a man who claimed he was a prophet of God. So I think we have an obligation to look at the text and say if Jesus warned us that false prophets would come in the future, and he came along 600 years later uh, claiming to be a prophet of God and announcing that in their religion uh, you have the right to force a convert to convert uh, if necessary by threatening their life. And once they become a Muslim, if they convert to any other religion, not just Christianity, any religion, they're to be killed. A fatwa is to be announced. Now when you have a religion that authorizes the use of force to make a convert and the threat of death to keep a convert, you really have, in a sense, the world's largest cult. Uh, it's really no different than Jim Jones or David Koresh uh, saying that I'm the messenger of God and if you disagree with me you need to die, uh, that kind of thing. Uh, the challenge is God wants us to show love and concern and we need to pray for, first of all, Christian believers who live behind the Islamic curtain. Uh, there are a lot of Arab Christians around the world uh, that love Jesus and love the Lord uh, and uh, yet they're caught uh, as a minority community within an Islamic country. And we need to pray for Muslims that are blinded to the truth of the Bible and the truth of the Gospel. Uh, I was driving through Miami, Florida a couple of years ago, saw a huge billboard that said, uh, we believe in Jesus, He's in the Quran. Come to the mosque. Well, when you go there, yeah, they believe He was a prophet who died, but He was not the Savior. He was not the Son of God. He can't save your soul. He can't change your life. So beware of false prophets and false religious systems. Number two, he says in verse 6, And there will be wars and rumors of wars. See that you be not troubled. All these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. Now one of the questions was, when will we come to the end? There's going to be wars and rumors of wars throughout church history. Throughout the future, he was saying. That doesn't mean you've come to the end. Just because war breaks out somewhere on the planet doesn't mean it's the end of the world. Uh, people constantly, uh, every time there's a crisis, go, is this it? Is this the one? Is the guy in North Korea the Antichrist? No. Uh, uh, he's not, etc. And then sometimes we forget that uh, eventually the Bible reminds us false prophets will lead to wars and rumors of wars in the future. Be prepared for that. So it should not have surprised Americans that Islamic extremists commandeered airplanes, flew them into the World Trade Center, uh, and killed a couple of thousand people. Uh, that's all part of the goal of that whole thing. Uh, and uh, you and I have been isolated from it for centuries. It's been going on in the Middle East and in Africa for centuries, but suddenly it's on our doorstep as well. Jet airplane transportation, modern communications, the internet, the computer, uh, the challenge of it faces us every single day. 
and people ask me all the time, when will the crisis in the Middle East end? Only when Jesus returns. It's not going to end. It will ebb and flow, but it's not likely going to come to an end. Now, we still have to share the gospel. We still have to evangelize people in that environment. We still have to take the love of Jesus to them. Uh, and many Christian missionaries risk their lives to do that. Many pastors in Africa and in the Middle East that face these challenges put their life at risk because they really believe Jesus is the only way to heaven. Jesus is the answer. And that if you don't come to know Him as your Savior, uh, you're going to be lost. So I'm going to risk my life to tell you what I think you need to hear. And uh, they need our prayers. They need our encouragement. So warning number one, beware of false prophets. Warning number two, be prepared for wars and rumors of wars. And warning number three comes all the way up in verse uh, 36. Of his return, he says, but of that day and that hour knoweth no man, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. In other words, don't run ahead of God and set dates for the second coming. Nobody knows the time when the Lord will come. Now again, I told you, I've been in the ministry 50 years. I've heard a lot of crazy things. Jesus was going to return in 1972. Didn't happen. 75. Didn't happen. 76. Didn't happen. 1988. Didn't happen. 1992. Didn't happen. 2000. There's nothing in the Bible about the year 2000. Those are just wild-eyed speculations. 2011. Uh, the world was going to end on uh, December 21st a couple of years ago. That's my birthday uh, and uh, uh, the end of the world. It's also the darkest day of the year. I tell people after I was born, things began to brighten up, but uh, be that as it may. Don't fall for that. Don't fall for that on the radio. Don't fall for that on television. Uh, you say, well, I heard somebody say that on TV. I'm on TV. All kinds of people are on TV. Uh, you, you listen to the word of God. Listen to the words of Jesus. Nobody knows the day or the hour. Now I know what the text says. People say, day or the hour, doesn't say the year. Let's guess the year. But it means nobody knows the time, so don't waste your time trying to guess the time. Be ready all the time, because Jesus could come back at any time. Well-taught people. Uh, he could come at any time. He could come right now. He could come in the next 10 minutes, or in the next 10 days, or in the next 10 years. He wants you to be ready all the time so I'll live with an anticipation of I could meet him at any moment. Because the truth is you could die at any moment. You could have to step out and meet him at any moment anyway. So he leaves every generation anticipating that it could be in our lifetime, but we don't have any guarantees of that. Uh, we don't know for sure when he'll come. Don't guess the date. Be ready all the time. You say, okay, I get it. Three warnings. Don't fall for false prophets. Uh, be prepared for dealing with wars and rumors of wars. Don't set any dates for the second coming, but what are the answers to the questions? When was the temple going to be destroyed? Uh, what was the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? The first answer, I think, is found in verse 15. He said to them, When, therefore, you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, when that is standing in the holy place, then let them that are in Judea flee to the mountains. 
get out of town, the temple's coming down. When the Romans desecrate the temple, flee, because they're going to destroy the temple. That was his prediction. Jesus gave that prediction in around 30 to 33 A.D. In 70 A.D., the Jews had revolted against the Romans. The Romans responded and destroyed the temple and destroyed the city. They pushed every single gigantic two-ton block of the temple off the temple mount onto the street down below. And the whole thing was destroyed, just like Jesus said it would be. You can go to Jerusalem today, and when you turn the corner from the western wall, the Wailing Wall, to the southern wall, there in the street, there are hundreds of these stones laying there. They were buried by the sands of time over the centuries. In the 1990s, Israeli archaeologists dug them all up. You can go there today and touch the fulfillment of Jesus' prophecy. Every stone will be torn down. And that was literally fulfilled. And it was fulfilled within the lifetime of some of those that were hearing him. But then the second answer really is, uh, Lord, we want to know uh, beyond that, what is going to be the sign of your coming? Uh, and you find that in verse 29. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, after the tribulation, then the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give her light, the stars of heaven and the powers of heaven shall be shaken. We saw that in the previous hour in Luke 21. And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man. So you might circle sign again. When? At the time of the return, not the time of the rapture. The sign of the Son of Man will appear, and the tribes of earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. What is the sign of your coming? That sign will occur after the time of tribulation, after the rapture, after the tribulation, when I return with those raptured saints to reign and rule on earth. And then everybody will see me coming. The rapture, not everybody will see him. The believers caught away. The unbelievers left behind. But after the time of tribulation, presumably seven years of judgment that the Bible calls the time of Jacob's trouble for Israel, at the end of that time, the Lord will come and you'll see the sign of the Son of Man coming. But instead of responding, what are they doing? Mourning during that time. Uh, everything in the Bible implies you don't want to be left behind. It doesn't go well. Uh, yes, there are some people saved out of the Great Tribulation. Revelation 7 makes that clear. But the vast majority are blinded and deceived and uh, do not repent. You keep reading, I'll show you that tonight, over and over in Revelation, it keeps saying, judgments fell, judgments fell, and they did not repent. And they did not repent. Sometimes God has to get a hold of our hearts and rip our hearts to get us to repent. And uh, believers will respond to the Lord, but unbelievers don't care. They just go on in their unbelief. Then the third answer, what is the sign or indication that we've come to the end of the age? That he gave first in verse 14. The 14th verse, he said, This gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world 
for a witness to all nations, and then what will happen? Tell me. The end will come. Then the end will come. When the task of world evangelization is complete and the gospel goes to the entire world, the end will come. Now, in their day, they had no clue how big the world was. They didn't know that North and South America existed. They really didn't know much about China or Korea or Japan either. Uh, so they knew we as believers have to take the gospel out of Jerusalem onto Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the world. We're to make disciples of the nations. In that new uh, divinity building at Liberty, in the open lobby when you walk in, there's a huge metallic globe, and underneath it, it says in English and in Greek, make disciples of all nations. The command from the Great Commission that we're to make disciples by sharing the message of the gospel uh, that Jesus loved you, died for your sins, rose from the dead, and is willing to give you the gift of eternal life by putting your faith and trust in what? in Him, what He did on the cross. So that the message of the gospel and the spirit of Jesus, which is the spirit of prophecy, is not just about what is going to happen in the future. That's all part of it. And we're all curious, what's going to happen? When's it going to happen? But it's ultimately all about who is coming. Jesus is coming. And the real question is, is He coming for you? Uh, that's what prophecy should challenge us to examine our hearts and ask myself, do I really know the Savior and am I ready to meet Him if He were to come today? If this were to be the day, He calls me home or He comes back. It's all about Him. Now, as He comes to the end of chapter 24, and there are a lot of other details in it, He gives you three words of application. The so what's. All right, if, wow, if the temple's going to be destroyed, and you're Jewish, even a Jewish Christian, that's pretty serious stuff. Why? Because in the church age, I'm seeking people that will worship me in spirit and in truth. I'm coming to build a church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. We tend to read that verse about the gates of hell and assume they're attacking us, but you don't attack with gates. You defend with gates. He sees Satan on the defense of holding on to the kingdom of unbelief and the church on the offensive, as we love the Lord and love people and preach the gospel, we're snatching them out of the kingdom of Satan and the gates of hell will not be able to stand against the onslaught of the power of the gospel when people clearly understand what the message of Jesus is really all about. Uh, there is a promise that the church will continue to march uh, toward its destiny in serving the Lord and our challenge is take the gospel to all the nations of the world. Then the end will come. Now, <clears throat> during the time of tribulation, yes, the 144,000 witnesses, the others that are converted in that time, will keep taking the gospel. I get that. But what gets my attention is, in the last 100 years alone, the gospel has circled the globe. Modern jet airplane travel, modern communications, television, radio, technology, the Internet, etc. The gospel is virtually available today to the entire world. Now, after the 9-11 attack, Billy Graham preached in the National Cathedral in Washington, D.C., invited by President Ben Bush. 
And that broadcast was carried in all but seven countries on the planet. So that tells me we're real close to seeing this fulfilled. Now, how many languages are involved? How many obscure tribes are involved? I don't know. Uh, we have a nephew who is in uh, Indonesia now in an uh, obscure tribe that has never uh, had the gospel, doesn't have a written language. Uh, you've got to go in as a missionary, chop the, your own trees down, build your own house, uh, and uh, reach this tribe, learn their language, share the gospel with them, and stay there for a lifetime is the commitment. And there are wonderful people doing that all over the world right now. But we're closer than we've ever been to seeing that fulfilled. When that's accomplished, he said, then I'll return. So in light of that, here are the three words of application. Verse 42, watch therefore. And you might circle the word watch. Literally, keep watching. For you do not know what hour your Lord will come. Since I don't know when the rapture will occur, when the trumpet will sound, I'm to do what? Keep watching because you don't know when it's going to be. Keep an eye on the sky. <clears throat> keep your heart right with God. But keep your feet on the planet. You've got a job to do until He comes. But live <clears throat> in light of the potential of the second coming. Number two. Verse 44, therefore also be ready. And you might circle the word ready. Keep watching in verse 42. Be ready in verse 44. It's one thing to be excited about the coming of Jesus, excited about what's happening in the world and how that fits with the Bible and where we're headed. But you can be excited about all of that and not be ready to meet the Lord. I've been there. You're into all these details, and all of a sudden, your own heart's cold. Your own heart's not what God wants it to be. Uh, am I really ready to meet Him if He comes? And then, verse 46, the third one is, Blessed is that servant, you might circle the word servant, who when his Lord comes, will find him so doing. Keep watching for Jesus to come. Be ready for Jesus to come. And in the meantime, do what? Keep serving until he comes. So if you're a deacon, keep deacon until Jesus comes. If you're a teacher, keep teaching until Jesus comes. If you're a singer, keep singing until Jesus comes. See, I'm in the nursery. Keep changing till Jesus comes. Whatever it is God has called you to do, gifted you to do, equipped you to do, keep on doing it uh, until the Lord either comes or calls you home. You have one life to offer Him. One life of service. Offering my life doesn't save me. What Jesus did when He offered His life saves us. Uh, his death on the cross, His blood shed for us, the sinless Son of God taking our sin upon Himself, that's how we get to heaven. We don't get there because we tried hard uh, or because we worked hard. No, He did the work. He paid it all. And we sing that hymn, Jesus paid it all all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow. He does it. Salvation is when I come to the point of understanding Jesus did everything that I need in order to go to heaven. I'm with him. I'm giving my life to him. I'm putting my faith and trust in him. I'm believing that he is who he said he was, that he can do what he said he can do. And goodness, if he could predict the future, 
Uh, he can certainly give me assurance about my future. If He can give me the promise that those that believe in Him would have eternal life, then I can have that gift of everlasting life by receiving it by what? By faith. Now, once I receive it and I understand what He's done for me, then, yes, I'm motivated to go and serve. I'm motivated to keep watching, be ready, keep serving until I come. And we'll see tonight in one of our times together, God keeps the record book. God knows what you're doing to serve Him. God's going to bless you and reward you for those acts of service. Uh, and uh, that's not going to go unnoticed in eternity. That God has a plan for our lives that goes beyond this temporal moment of time that lasts forever. And in that forever time, He has promised to bless us with at least seven things. And I'll share those with you tonight. Uh, but uh, those things are given to us as a gift. But to get a gift, you have to do what? Receive it by faith. Uh, you have to say, all right, I'll take it. I believe it. Uh, my book, 15 Future Events That Will Shake the World. All right, I'm willing to give this away for free. Who wants it? Come get it. <laughs> all right, sorry. You, you, you. I'll give you one later. Two guys jumped. Uh, so he had the advantage of being closer. He got up first. So uh, see me later down and get, make sure he gets one as well. Okay, that's it. Jesus said, I'm willing to give you heaven. I'm willing to give you eternity. I'm willing to forgive your sins. Take it by faith. If you take it, you get it. If you think about it, you don't. You pass on it, you don't get it. It doesn't happen. Uh, and the assurance of salvation is, if he really meant the offer, and I really meant the response, then I can say with assurance, yes, I've been saved and I'm on my way to heaven. So if somebody asks you, if you were to die right now, would you go to heaven? The answer should not be, I hope so. I'm doing the best I can. No, Jesus did the best he could. You don't need to hope so. You need to know so. Uh, you can know with assurance because Jesus paid it, what? All. All to him I owe. If you've never made that decision to say yes to it, I want to urge you. Do it today. Do it right now. Don't gamble on your future. The clock is ticking. Time is moving on. One day the trumpet will sound. The archangel will shout. And the Lord will come. The question is, will he come for you? And you are the only one who really knows the answer to that question. Let's take a minute and pray and ask God to speak to our hearts. Hey guys, thanks so much for tuning in to the Jumpstart Your Faith podcast channel. As a token of my appreciation for you listening today, I would like to give you my free ebook devotional called Jumpstart Your Faith, 30 Days to a Renewed Faith in Christ. Just go to www.pastorbrianratliff.com to download it. Please be sure to subscribe to this podcast channel to listen to more messages like today's. And if these messages have been helpful to you, please leave a review. If I could be of any help in your spiritual walk, please let me know by emailing me at pastorbrianratliff at yahoo.com. And one last thing, if you're in Roanoke, 
please consider joining us for one of our worship services at Clearbrook Baptist Church. Until next time, may God's blessings be upon you and have a great week.